Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, peruanos de Estados Unidos. Un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofia, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to Season 2 of Peruvians of USA. Today, I share with you my conversation with Maylene Bellis-Wood. Maylene is a Chinese-Peruvian-American, mother of two, wife, and future veterinary technician. Maylene was born in Lima, Peru, and moved to the U.S. around the age of seven. Maylene attended the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale and has professional experience in the hospitality industry. She is currently pivoting her career and earning her veterinary technician degree from Purdue University Online. Maylene loves animals and has grown up with lots of them, dogs, birds, including Peruvian Paso horses. In this episode, we discuss pivoting into a new career while raising bilingual multicultural children feeling like an outsider and wanting to be just a normal American girl. Like many immigrant children, sometimes we struggle to figure out where we belong, we disconnect from our roots to survive, and reconnect with them to thrive. I would also like to take this opportunity to bring awareness to the increasing anti-Asian sentiment in our communities. Since the onset of COVID-19, there have been an alarming 1,900% increase in harassment and violent crimes against the Asian American Pacific Islander community in the United States. Since March 2020, there have been nearly 3,800 reports of hate crimes targeting Asian American nationwide, particularly against the elderly. So how can we be an ally to the Asian community right now? Here are three suggestions. One, you can amplify and share their stories. Two, check in on your Asian American and Pacific Islander friends. Three, support your local Asian food restaurant. Peru, like many countries in Latin America, has a strong and vibrant Asian community. As Peruvians, some of us are a mix of Asian, indigenous, Afro-Peruvian, and everything in between. Our communities must stand united against racism. With that, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Maylene. Maylin, welcome to Peruvians of USA. I am really happy that you're here today. I am excited to learn about your immigrant story, but also about your career. And just to also talk about growing up in a culture where we didn't see ourselves represented and how that impacted us. Welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, um, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Mayling Bettys Wood. I uh, saw your podcast on Instagram and I was super excited. I'm just really looking forward to talking about culture and representation and stuff of Peruvians, especially here in the States. So like I said, you know, I'm super excited to be here. I know that you're currently studying to be a veterinary technician at Purdue University. Before we jump into your Peruvian story, I do want you to share why you decided to go, to, go back to school to become a veterinary technician. You know, can you share a little bit of that with us? Yes, absolutely. Growing up, I was constantly surrounded by animals. My father was a pilot, and so he would actually, it's legal now, but he would bring animals back from the jungle, and we had dogs growing up. My family bred chow chows, and uh, which are incredible and loyal dogs. 
And after I came to the States, you know, growing up, we had pets as well. And then as I was growing older, I started volunteering into animal shelters, and animal rescues. And then I realized there was a passion for animals in my life. And uh, I'm doing an online program for Purdue University for a veterinary technician. And it's a bit challenging. It is especially online, but I'm just fascinated with the entire veterinary field. I eventually want to go into equine with horses. And that goes back to Peruvian roots. My father has a Paso Pino horses wow. on his farm. So yeah, I'm doing that now. And like I said, it's a little bit challenging, but I'm really, really enjoying it. It's a completely fantastic world. That's awesome. So before I ask you about how long this program at Purdue is, you said your dad was a pilot and he brought animals from the jungle. <laughs> so are you talking about from like the Amazon? Where did he bring them? And what kind of animals was he bringing? <laughs> Yes, exactly that. Like I said, it's, you know, completely illegal probably. And like back then it probably was too, but he, he would bring back two cans. We had a uh, cockatiels, um, macaws. I don't remember the two cans. They were the funniest thing. They would make different kinds of noises and they're so smart. We teach them tricks. And we just felt like we were living in like a mini jungle in our house in Peru. And I was growing up. It was like, oh, take care of these animals and the chows and like all these things. It was it was definitely a different way growing up than most people, I think. Well, I think it's also really interesting that, you know, it's kind of like a full circle for you. You grew up with animals that was really a part of your childhood. And now you're pursuing a, a career as a veterinary technician. And so it's like a full, it seems full circle. Is that how you see it? That's actually a really good way of putting it. I did uh, go to art school first in college. And then I, like I said, you know, full circle, I just realized now that animals are my passion. And when I saw the opportunity to apply to university after being after school for so long, I you know, was really excited and um, launching myself into it because I think that's definitely my calling as a career and as a person to help animals and be there for them. What was that catalyst? So you mentioned you went to art school and I know based on our conversation, you were in hospitality for a little bit. What was that catalyst that you you said you know what like yes I, I went to our school I am in hospitality but this is really my passion like what was that so like I said you know throughout life no volunteer animal shelters and rescues and I did you know in art school and then I got into field doing it and it was very kind of confining it was a lot of hours on the computer maybe like 15 hours a day or so and I realized that I'm not a person to be sitting at a desk I needed to be out doing things you know constantly just being active in my field of work and so I moved to hospitality being with people and you know that was great you know I had a lot met a lot of great people and a lot of life experience and I was still you know doing webinars for animal you know even sutures like practicing sutures and I was like all right you know obviously the animals it is still in my head and eventually, you know, I was like, you know, I, I'm going to do this, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. I feel. That's awesome. I mean, I think it, I think you, you, de you definitely made that decision to follow your passion. I think so many of us kind of are in an industry for so long and know that we have another passion and decide to just not pay attention to that, you know, that feeling. And it seemed like even though you were in hospitality and you enjoy aspects of it, you were still doing other things related to animals. So I think that's very brave and courageous what you're doing of switching that, you know, that career trajectory. But what got you to art school? Because you went to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. So like, what was your path there? Why did you decide to go to the Art Institute? So growing up, you know, um, my mother was an interior designer and I guess I got the artistic gene from her. And I was always, you know, drawing 
you know, with all kinds of media, you know, painting, uh, pencil, anything like that. And growing up, you know, I went to art shows and just pretty much spent my allowance on a lot of art supplies <laughs> to keep myself busy. And then as I got to be a teenager, I really enjoyed it so much that I, my teachers were like, oh, you know, maybe you should continue this, you know, past high school and make it, you know, a career. And I decided to give it a go. And I did, you know, enjoy it for a time, you know, but I realized that I like art more as a hobby and like a leisure activity rather than the career path. And now, you know, I still draw and I've been getting into like tattoo flash art actually. So I've been doing that, but yeah, I just decided, you know, I wanted to keep it as like a side hobby instead of a career path. So you said you're into tattoo art? It's called flash art. It's a form of more like American style. It's very bold. I'm sure anyone who can Google it, it will come up all kinds of things, you know, but they're very bold, bold colors, broad lines. And it's a lot of people use them as statement pieces and they're remembering family or experiences in life. And it can be tailored to what anybody would like to do. But that's like a recent thing I've been getting into. But mostly I did portraits or just still life or basically just take out a sketchbook and just sketch you know, go out and sketch what's in front of me just to keep it fresh in my mind. Nice, nice. This is a random question, but I know Peruvian families, especially mothers, could be very strict. So how old were you when you got your first tattoo? <laughs> it was two days after I turned 18. And it was <laughs> probably, probably about three weeks or so before I showed my mom and she thought it was fake. I think she actually knew it was real, but she was trying to not believe that it was real. And then, you know, a few months later, it was still there on my ankle and she just accepted it. And over time, you know, obviously I've gotten more and she's just kind of like, at this point, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I remember having that conversation um, with my parents when I was younger. I, I grew up and I think, I think it's the early 2000s when people were like, it was more common to see girls get tattoos. And so yes, yes. I remember having that conversation with my parents and it was not a conversation as it was an absolutely no way. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I definitely Sorry. come from a family where tattoos aren't, you know, is that like, like I said, now they don't mind, but nobody else has any tattoos in my family. Um, so I'm kind of like odd man out on that part, but eventually they're like, all right, she's going to do it. And I'm like, <laughs> You're a pioneer in that, in that, in that world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. <laughs> so tell me about your, your, where you lived in, in Peru. I know you mentioned the Amazon and your dad being a pilot. Tell us a little bit about your story in Peru. What was life like for you there? So born in Lima, actually. And my, my father was a pilot. My mother was actually a flight attendant. That's how they both met. Oh, wow. They uh, <laughs> worked for a faucet. I'm sure a lot of listeners will remember that airline back in the day, faucet, one of the first airlines of crew. And I grew up in a good family. My grandfather was a police officer and a doctor. My grandmother was a professor. And I grew up actually to say kind of like a spoiled life. I got like whatever I wanted. I went to the top preschool, had a lot of family, surrounded by like friends and family and animals, as I mentioned before. And I was younger than I was there, but I still remember a lot of it, just how growing up there was so different than when I moved to the States. It was, we were close to the beach. And so we'd go to the beach all the time and we would, parents were very social. So they would have family at the house all the time. We'd have family meals. And I had, growing up, I had two nannies, which 
probably talk about later on that culture shock when I came to the States. I really can't complain about it. It was a really beautiful life from what I remember. And just remembering that I was always with family and we were very close. There was always, you know, someone around to teach me something or like give me an experience. And that's a common theme in some of the conversations I had from some Peruvians, like some of us who had a childhood in Peru, that there's always somebody around, right? There's always somebody mm-hmm. around. Yes. And, it, and, and when we come here, that's not always the case. And, and we get to experience loneliness a bit more yes, here yes. than we do in Peru. It's almost like we don't know what it's like to be alone there. <laughs> yes, that's that's really well put. That's I can resonate with that a lot. There's sure. no privacy. <laughs> no, there isn't. It's just like I remember Benicita, Benicita, no estás, no estás mi. Just remember it, like hearing it. So. <laughs> so I know this is a little like out of order question, but Maylene, where is that? Where the, does your parents share where the origins of your name? Because yeah, so, it's very, it's a beautiful name, It's but it's unique. Yeah, it's actually, well, so my father is um, 100% Peruvian. I have Incan roots. My mother is uh, Chinese, but she was born in Peru. So she's 100% Chinese, but born in Peru. So the mainland came from my, the Asian side. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Wait, so do you know the story of your mom's side of the family? It, you know, you say she's 100% Chinese, but she, she was born in Peru. So do you know about her parents and and coming to to Peru or the only is after we started they were in Hong Kong or close to Hong Kong and they moved to Peru I think just for a change of life honestly I mean they my mother says that they pretty much were just looking for a different variety of life and they had family and friends in Peru and I guess they took a leap of faith and they came and they obviously, you know, loved it. My grandfather opened up um, a shoe store that was very successful in Lima. He custom made shoes and everything like that. I remember that going up there after preschool and school, spending time there with them. And yeah, and like I said, my mom was born in Lima. So it's just interesting how she's 100% Chinese, but she doesn't speak any Chinese. People who are not Peruvian, they might think all Peruvians look alike or, or have very similar stories. But, you know, we have... Chinese descent, descendants in Peru. And I know in my family, I've been told we have Japanese ancestry as well, but mm-hmm. nobody's really sure because it happened so long ago. I think it was like great grandfather for me was Japanese, but we're so like mixed too, you know? So that's why I wanted to highlight a little bit of your Chinese cultural background. Yeah, there's a lot of Asian influence in <laughs> Peru for sure. You know, even my husband, who's 100% American, he's like, when he first met, he's like, I don't understand. He's like, how was your mother 100% Chinese, but she doesn't speak any Chinese, but she was born in Peru. He's like, I still understand how that happened. <laughs> so with your name, Maylene, here, have you been thought of as Chinese? Like, has somebody approached you and thought you were like 100% Chinese or Asian? Yes, yes. I've gotten approached. And even people coming to me speaking Cantonese or Mandarin, which I don't speak, I've been trying to, but um, it's a very intense language. And they just look at me kind of weird because I mix and I can see that people would get confused because I look Asian, but then I'm like something else. And I even got mistaken for Hawaiian, Filipino. People come up to me speaking like different languages and I was like, I'm sorry, (laughs) only two. (laughs) 
<laughs> so tell me about the story behind coming to the U.S. Why your parents decided to come to the U.S.? Do you remember your last day in Peru? What was that transition like for you? Oh, the parents, no, unfortunately, divorced. And so my mother and I came to the States. I do remember like one of the last days. And, you know, as I get younger, you know, the memories are kind of fuzzy. But I remember mom saying that we're going to just go on a trip and go see my godmother. And I remember being like, okay, you know, because my godmother was a very big part of my life as well. And it was just, for me, it was just like basically just, it was kind of strange to me, I remember, because um, <laughs> we had like a lot of luggage. And I was like, all right, I guess we're going for a long time. And, but I didn't think, you know, anything of it really, other than, I, I do remember a lot of feeling anxious. I knew something was going on, but I wasn't sure. And, but I was also really excited because I've only been to the States probably like twice before. And my English wasn't that great. So I was super nervous. And I remember basically we were just going on a trip and then we came to United States to Long Island, New York. How old were you when you came? I was um, eight. Oh, you were eight years old. Okay. Yeah. So, so it seems like you, you thought you were just coming to visit your grandmother. You didn't, it wasn't communicated to you or it didn't register yeah. that you were coming permanently. Yeah. We, like I said, my mom said, we're going to go visit, you know, bounce with Medina. And I was like, super excited to go see, you know, call my cousins, like her daughters, I call them my cousins, you know, cause in, in our culture, a close friend is like the deal, you know? So I was like, and like I said, I didn't think anything of it really. And then later on, you know, we didn't come back. So, and then, you know, my life started there in Long Island, which I always wonder like what it would have been like if we stayed in Peru, but you know, you're where you're supposed to be, you know, you get there eventually. And, you know, I feel you're supposed to be here. That's how my life was supposed to go. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. What year did you arrive here? I want to say 88 possibly 89. Did your dad and your grandparents stay behind? Did you communicate with them? I know that when we came in the 90s, it was so expensive to talk to people in Peru. You had to go to kind of like internet coffee shops or oh, yeah, like, like, to make to make phone calls because yeah. it was so expensive. You couldn't do it at home or they had calling cards, you know, like yes. $5 for an hour or whatever. So yeah, my, I remember the calling cards and we stayed in contact with my father and my grandparents and I had some cousins and I remember my mom going to the store and buying the little calling cards it was really expensive so you would buy like a bunch at a time and then when I would talk to my father she'd be like oh you know you have a few more minutes or whatnot I didn't understand how it worked really so I want to talk longer but yeah the calling cards for sure that's how we did it I think because where we lived there wasn't really like the internet cafes so the little cards were definitely the way to go. And so you arrived in Long Island. Did you go to school there? How long were you there? So uh, we moved to Belmore on Long Island, New York. It's a little bit closer to the city with my godmother and we lived in um, her spare room. And my mother got a job as a seamstress with my godmother's sister-in-law. And I started uh, kindergarten and I actually had to stay back a year because my English was not great. And I was going through a pretty severe culture shock because my life was so different. And like I said, I was a little bit spoiled in Peru. I had two nannies. So the first thing was I didn't want to clean up my toys and I understand why my mother was making my breakfast. Like when I wasn't getting the things that I wanted immediately. So I think I'm grateful for coming to the States or else I probably would have grown up 
kind of spoiled little brat in Lima. And everybody in the town, I was the only, I guess, ethnic person in my class. Everybody else was American. And I'd noticed that, I remember, even though I was small, I remember noticing that immediately. Like I was different and I didn't understand why, you know, in Peru, like we were all similar and speaking the same language. And I couldn't vocalize my feelings in school and we're feeling really frustrated. And even though it was small like that, I remember that pretty clearly. Kids would tease because my clothes were a little, you know, different than theirs. And we moved to Sable, Long Island on the South Shore. It's a beautiful little town. Um, my mother met my stepfather and she got remarried. And we moved to Sable and that's where I grew up until I left for college at 18. And it was kind of similar to when we first moved because this town was predominantly American. And I grew up, you know, being very different from the rest of the other girls and thinking like, oh, you know, can I be more like them? How can I be more like them? You know, because I spoke Spanish too. And I was like, nobody else is speaking Spanish. That's when I started losing my Spanish because I didn't want to speak Spanish because nobody else was. That was challenging for me, for sure. <laughs> Did you ever share with your mom how you felt different from your classmates, from the other girls there? Was she able to support you during this time? I asked also knowing that when our parents come here, almost their main focus is we need to survive. I need to work. And so we don't talk about things that are bothering us as kids, right? They don't have that energy. Yeah. I mean, and my mom, you know, she's been the biggest cheerleader and she's my role model, like coming here to the States with basically not much and just starting from scratch. And yet I could see that she was stressed about finding a job and working and just like, I think she was also culture shocked as well. You know, it's very different her spending the majority of her life in Peru and all of a sudden she just uproots and comes to a completely different country. Yeah, I remember telling her, you know, that I felt different and like, since I would speak Spanish and then some of the kids would make fun. And she said, she said, you know, cause she did say, you know, we're not, you know, from here. And like, sometimes people who, they don't understand someone who's different they just kind of like lash out. And she just reminded me, just be proud of who you are. You may not realize it now. You speak Spanish and it's very special when you're from Peru and you have a wonderful backstory. And as I got older, I was able to kind of like deal with it on my own. But even now as an adult, you know, it's especially living where I'm living, it's mostly American here. I do feel a little different because where I live here, there isn't a lot of proven representation. And I wish there was because... I'm trying to put that into my children as well now, because I want to know that, yes, you're American, but you're also part Peruvian and Chinese, and they're especially the Peruvian one, and it's an incredible culture, and I feel like they're going to appreciate that more when they're older, because I went through a rebellious phase where I didn't want to be Peruvian for like a few years, especially as a teenager, and um, I'm going through that with my kids now as well, but I want to know that they're special. You know, I guess a question that came to mind as you were describing your experience of feeling different and tying that back to our conversation earlier about how it feels lonely. So are we, and in general, I'm generalizing and, and you can correct me from when you say different, are you, are you saying, did you feel lonely? Like you didn't have a community around you and now that you're in Texas and, and also there's not really a lot of Peruvians where you're at. 
is there a sense of, oh, I wish, quote unquote, my people were here and that they, I could not have to explain myself all the time and that we can laugh about the same things and we can talk about the same foods. When we say different, are we just really saying, hey, I'm missing my community? Yeah, it's actually a really good way of putting it. I did feel lonely growing up. There wasn't a lot of pre-representation where I grew up. And is it now, you know, yeah, it's, I feel like I wish, especially right now, the time in my life, I really wish that there was more Peruvians here where I am. And like I said, I'm in a small town named California in Texas, a little bit east of uh, Dallas. And there's no Peruvian community here at all. And so I watch Peruvian TV, you know, where I can't, I listen to podcasts and I'm the only one that speaks Spanish, like, and it's tough. I try to cook in the Peruvian food and like for New Year's, we did some of the traditions that we do. And my kids were like, what is going on? My husband's like, what? I got to eat like 12 grapes in like 30 seconds. <laughs> and I mean, you know. You're like, yes, it's for luck. Do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I told my son, I was like, go put on yellow underwear. And I told him, go put on the green underwear. And they're like, what is happening? <laughs> and I was like, we're going to be doing this more often. I started introducing it years ago, but this year I kind of went all out. But uh, yeah, you know, I wish you know, things that I talk about or whatnot, I don't have anybody to talk with them really, except like my mom, you know, I'll talk to her on the phone and like my biological father who's improved still. And just recently, actually, I was, wasn't feeling great. And my father goes, I'm going to send you tokos. I was like, what? And he's like, Dokosh. I was like, I don't know. He's like, you don't know. That. And he rattled a bunch of stuff. It's um, a powder. And I looked it up. It's a fermented potato that used in like Andes cultures, like up in the mountains. And what they do is they take a potato. They know that in Peru, we get, there's like a, tons of different kinds of potatoes. And they put it in a river covered with like grass and like gravel or whatnot. And they let it ferment. And then they let it dry out. And they put it into like a powder. And you can make it like a masamoro out of it. But it's very, very, this, I, I can't, like, I'm sure a lot of people listening to the podcast will know what I'm talking about, like the smell. It's very intense. It's like socks. <laughs> the flavor. Yes. I'm it's like, like <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I smelled it and I was like, oh my goodness. And he has, you got to drink it. He's like, mix it up some juice, pinch your nose if you have to, just drink it. And my husband was like, what is that? He's like, he's like, it's always like a remedy, proving remedy for anything. I was like, yeah, but that's. Actually, the thing that I love about Peruvian culture too, like, is always like a natural remedy that, that works. And here in the United States, there isn't like, I feel like too much of that. There's a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. a lot. Um, but I try to do a little Peruvian remedies I hear at home or whatnot, like a teas and whatnot. And, but yeah, there's a lot of medications here, but I would rather go with that route as well. Do you, um, uh, have you ever done like the egg? the egg like you know where you hold the egg my grandma used to cleanse you with an egg so if if something was happening to one of us if we were sick or we had bad luck whatever she would grab an egg and then she would pray or mumble something under her breath like all around you and kind of rub the egg all over you and then she would crack it in a glass of water and she'll look at it and she'll be like oh yeah I see some evil spirit or this oh my gosh <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, and I don't know if it's placebo effect or whatever, but I mean, we felt better. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. The power of the mind. Yeah. yeah. I remember mom talking about the egg thing. I've never had it, anyone do it to me or whatnot, but she remembers her aunts and like cousins, like do it to each other, even like cousins, like for fun being like, Oh, let me see. And let me heal you. 
but yeah. That's funny. <laughs> it really is. I mean, <laughs> so I know you mentioned your, your dad, your biological dad is still in Peru. Have you been back? If so, what was that first trip back to Peru? Yeah. So my mother wanted me, didn't want to just separate me from my family. So I started, I was getting older. I started going back every year, sometimes twice a year. And I remember, I think I was about 11 or so when I went and it was back when unaccompanied minors could fly solo. And well, my father was a pilot and my mother was in the business as well. So they had friends that would fly me too. I remember just landing and looking around just basically on the ride back to the house. And I was just like, what is this place? And everybody was speaking Spanish and I was starting to lose mine and I had no clue what was going on. I was super nervous. Yeah. And it was just a whole different world. Like in bits and pieces started to come back as I was spending more time there. I spent usually the summer there and I mean, also getting my fix of food, which made me a lot more comfortable, just like the flavors and just like, you remember and like that. But yeah, now I usually go back every year. My biological father, he owns a farm in Huaral. Uh, he has horses there and animals and like that. And I just brought my nine-year-old son uh, a couple years ago to visit for the first time. And he loved it. He was completely sh- culture shocked, but he enjoyed himself. And I was happy to be able to start installing some of the Peruvian culture into him. And like I said, it was a different world, but I think that's important also. I mean, my kids like they speak a little bit of Spanish, understand more, but my son is going through a thing that nobody in his class speaks Spanish really. And so he's like, why do I have to speak it if nobody else is speaking it, you know? And I was like, you're going to thank me later, please. You know, <laughs> just trying to install that and how important it is and how, especially to be bilingual and or more in today's world. Yeah, it's so it's it's a skill that I think it's only going to just give us more opportunities later on, right? So is your is your husband like I guess supportive of teaching your kids a different language, getting them more involved with like their Peruvian roots? And I am really curious too because like you're a mix, right? Like you're a mixed Chinese and Peruvian, and then your yeah. kids are also mixed, right? So now that yes. your kids are American. And then they're half Peruvian and then they also have some Chinese because yeah, grandma, (laughs) grandmother is like Chinese. And so that seems very complex to try to explain to a kid. (laughs) So how, how, I guess, what is your approach to keeping those cultural roots? So yeah, my husband is 100% American and he knows some words, understands a little bit. He enjoys just saying, si, es perdón. (laughs) <laughs> constantly I'm like you can't say that for everything he's like it's like the only thing I know but yeah I it's been tough when my son was younger my daughter is uh is three and my son is nine so I've been doing a better job with her now because I feel like and it's my fault and I feel guilty of it that I kind of missed out on my son's early years with Spanish just because we were so busy had a lot going on in life and it kind of went on the back burner unfortunately but now I'm like all right it's not too late so I've been trying to do just here and there like if I say time to get up you know or whatnot time to get up I'll try to say the English word and the Spanish word and vice versa it takes time but definitely pushing myself to do it because I know I'm going to regret it if I just let it go and then they don't speak any kind of language at all but Dan my husband he's uh, super supportive he's like fascinated with different cultures and everything like that I mean 
and yeah, I'm part Chinese too, so we'll be celebrating uh, Chinese New Year as well. We usually do every year a little bit there. But yeah, he says he's like, yeah, he goes, this, he wants to learn as well. So he goes, when you speak Spanish to them, he's like, I'm learning too. And then it just benefits everybody. He's great about that. And I've been doing kind of word of the day and like just sprinkling it in here and there. So then they don't notice as slowly their understanding. Like I'll slowly take away the English, just speak to Spanish eventually, I hope. And they'll be like, oh, I understand everything. But it is hard work, you know, especially living in a community that's mostly American, mostly uh, pretty much all English speaking. It's more important to me to teach them now because as they get older, you know, it's harder to learn. But kids, you know, they're like sponges, they'll absorb everything. So I'm trying to take advantage of that right now as they're still small. Like I said, hard work, but I think it's definitely going to benefit them and all of us in the long run for sure yeah no props to you because it is hard work and especially you're doing it by yourself I know I know you have you know the support of your husband but I also understand that you're the one that speaks Spanish like you're the one that has to teach all of them so yeah props to you I know that yeah it's hard work and and your kids are only going to thank you later right Uh, they might not appreciate it now (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but they will thank you in the future uh, for even at the very least, having them be comfortable with another language, right? Like they might not be super fluent or whatever, but like they will hear words and understand them and just have that appreciation of Spanish speaking, you know, or just Spanish as a language. So yeah. What, so what aspects of the Peruvian culture do you uh, value the most that you, do you want your kids to keep? And what, values of the American culture do you value the most and that you want your kids to kind of keep and then how do you balance those two because it could be it could be opposite sometimes yeah I mean proving culture that's a lot of you know culture as well how close you are with family you have to always keep in touch with your family because they're the most important people in your life and it's tough right now because we live far from my father and cousins and my brothers in Lima as well. And it's, but yeah, you know, the sense of like how close everyone is in Peruvian culture, like I said, growing up, there's always somebody there, you know, and always someone to spend time with or do something, activity or anything with, even just get lunch with. And that's why one of the things I brought back with me from Peru and my mother always installed it, just like your family, keep them close you know, don't lose touch or anything like that. And for, I mean, American culture growing up, you know, I like to say, I don't know if I like to say, but I am kind of Americanized, you know, being here for so long. And I felt for a little while, I lost a lot of my Peruvian culture, especially as a teenager, I lost a lot of my Spanish. I could barely speak sometimes when I went back, I understood everything, but speaking, it was, I, I barely could get anything out. And in America, like, I guess America's a little bit more like loose. Their culture is just, hey, you know, whatever you want to do, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of freedoms here for sure. And I don't want my kids to take that for granted either. You know what I mean? And I do want them, like I said, to learn Spanish when I bring them back, they're able to converse with their family members and even just go to the store, restaurants, anything like that. But I also want to be grateful what they have here in the States as well, because, you know, you know, Peru is beautiful in all aspects, but like every country, there's, you know, d- you know, 
downsides and some conflicts as well. And here, I think they have a really good opportunity for everything here in America. Like it is like called land of opportunity. I mean, like you can make it yours if you want to. I mean, you could, you could do that pretty much in a lot of other countries, but I feel here in America, the culture that you can pretty much do whatever you want, you know, if you set your mind to it and work hard, that's something that I want to install in the kids to just, if you want something is going to take hard work, you know, that life isn't just going to give you things. And here I'm, we're very, very grateful and like lucky that my husband has a great job. You know, we live in a nice town and I don't want to take that, them to take that for granted because not everybody's so lucky. Yeah. And I think that's, that's great to try to pass on to others because like the later generations that didn't experience what life was perhaps back in Peru, back in more difficult times. No, we might forget. We might forget to be grateful for what we have because I, I know 2020 has been tough for a lot of people. And I just, 2020 for me has reminded me to be grateful for the small things like electricity, clean water. Those, yes, are, absolutely. Th- those are things that in growing up in Peru, it was not guaranteed. <laughs> it was not guaranteed that we were going to have electricity because there were a lot of apagones. And then even with clean water, I in the neighborhood um, that I grew up, we didn't have the las tuberías like I see the, yeah las tuberías like the pipes, the water pipelines. We didn't have them yet, so we would have to wait for the trucks with water to come and drop gallons of water, or we would have to go to, I don't remember even where, somewhere to pick up water and on those baldes, the buckets. And we yeah, were to like, pick them up, yeah. Yeah, and we would pick up water. My mom, I remember, because my dad was already here and my mom would pick up, she would carry two big buckets and I was a kid, so I would carry a little, a one bucket. And I remember even my little brother who was four years old would carry like a baby bucket, a little bucket of water. <laughs> and we would walk back to our house. And I mean, I'm not going to say we walk for miles, because I don't think that was true but I remember there was a dog that scared us and my brother and I dropped the buckets and that's water that you need to cook that's water that you like bathe with later and so I just remember seeing my mom being like she can't yell at us because it's not like we dropped it on purpose and the dog scared us. But at the same time, it's that sense of how am I going to do it now? Like I only have two buckets of water. You know, the fact that you're trying to encourage your kids to be grateful for the things that are here. Yeah, this country is not perfect. Peru is not perfect, but we are choosing to make this country our home. And so I think we just have to be grateful for the things that are available and also try to improve the things that, you know, can be improved here. So yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And like to touch on that real quick, when I brought my son um, to Peru and like I said, my father owns a, a farm in Huarad, which is like two and a half hours or so away from Lima. And uh, down there, you know, there are kids there that we we drove by going to my father's farm and there were kids and then just playing with like just rocks with like sticks and that. And I, my son was just looking at them or whatnot. He's just like, where are their toys? I was like, some kids don't, you know, don't have, their life is different here. When I, he's just like, he just didn't understand. And him, he, he remembered that for a while. And he, he's mentioned it. So he's like, those kids. And that he mentioned, he's like, next time, you know, maybe we can bring some stuff. And I do like bring like little candies and little toys or whatnot to give to the kids and that. And it made me really proud because he was realizing, he's like, wow, I have so many things, you know, video games and TV and like, even like you said, you know, like 
food in the fridge like we refrigerator we have and just seeing that for him was like a big shock that he didn't think like it was real but he saw it in person we just have to be grateful for what we have even the small things you know yeah, yeah. All right. So let's transition to the rapid fire questions. So first thing that comes to mind or like the answer, uh, don't think about it too much. So plato preferido, plato peruano preferido. Ceviche. <laughs> yes. yes, that's my favorite. I could eat ceviche every day to be honest. Oh my gosh, me too. Spicy though. I need a little spicy. For yes. sure. A lot of lime. Algarrobina or pisco sour? Pisco. Pisco. All right. Why no or festejo? Because it's more like I play sometimes like when I'm cleaning, <laughs> just like it gets me like going. But I mean, I'm, <laughs> I have my earbuds on. Sometimes I'll just be, my husband just like sticks his head out. He's just like, I'm like, just leave me. I'm in my zone. What about your favorite place in Peru? I'm going to have to say my father's farm in Juaran. It's beautiful. It was nothing. It was just bare ground. He built everything, the horse stables, like the house on the ground up. And it's just gorgeous. Like it's so peaceful and ma making a lot of like great memories there. And I'm looking forward to bringing my kids there again, my little one when she's old enough. Yeah. And like I said, it's really peaceful. And my father and I have a great time there just sharing memories and spending time together. It's, it's lovely. Where is it again? Uh, Juaral. Juaral. I don't know where, in, in like direction from Lima, is that? So I want to say it, it's south and it's like about two and a half hours away or so. The town's kind of small. Okay. You know, and a lot of farmlands, a lot of like produce and stuff like that. People grow. My father, he has like some mandarin trees, avocado trees and um, banana trees on his property. Nice. Nice. Like, does he, he should be like, he should, does he Airbnb? <laughs> I know. Right. I was like, you should. Yeah. Cause people are starting to build like, <laughs> it's gorgeous. It'd be like, a, it. it'd be like a nice vacation. What about artista peruano preferido? It could be a writer, it could be a poet or a singer, you know. So I remember in, when I was younger, it's the it, it, song's called Jodo Soy. And I forgot who his name. I'm like, Luis? But the uh -huh. song is Jodo Soy. And I remember like the housekeepers in the house would like play that. I just remember that song. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. hear it like, once in a while on like the Spotify like stations that I have, Peruvian stations, classical Peruvian artists. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just like, it transports me back. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. So the song is, I just Googled it. So the song is Cholo Soy uh, and the artist is Luis Abanto Morales. So you were, you were right. Ah, okay. For Luis, yeah. Abanto Morales. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So what message do you have for Peruvians and Peru, those who are listening? Because we do have some listeners in Peru, actually. And what message do you have for Peruvians here in the U.S.? For Peruvians in Peru, then, mandame anticuchos, no. <laughs> for real, you know, like, yeah, this like, overnight song. This is like, and I was talking to my, my brother, and I know people ask me a lot of questions about the States, and like, oh, you know, here is a lot of great opportunity here, you know, how great it is, and like, and like that. And like, I, I was telling them, it's like, it is great, but sometimes the word that we're talking, it's like, they want to get like out of Peru, like, oh, there's too much here, or like, I have a lot going on or whatever else. And I was just like, just be proud of your culture, like who you are being proven, I think is, you know, amazing. Not just like the cultural aspect, just like history is a lot of history in the country. And like, sometimes the people I talk to when I go back to it, like they, 
aren't like super proud like anymore or whatnot, or they want like a change of pace. And I'll also be like, no, you have to be proud of your culture and like where you come from, uh, your country. Just don't think that the grass is green on the other side. Because in my experience, I've been, and I was super surprised when hearing people, Freemans like speak like that. And uh, like I said, the grass is green on the other side, but just Peru is like an amazing country and just be super proud to be Peruvian. <laughs> And what about Peruvians here in the U.S.? To keep your culture, you know, because it's very difficult. Some people are really lucky to move to the States and be in part of a Latin culture, like Peruvian community close by. But no matter what you have to do, just keep your culture alive. Those who are parents install, instill the language and like the culture, even make food, Peruvian food at home. Let's just instill that in your kids, you know, especially ones who are American born that aren't exposed to it that much. And because some parents may not have the means to go back to Peru to show their kids, you know, where exactly they come from. So even though it seems hard, like I'm doing it right now, just don't give up. You know, just keep the culture going because if I didn't, like it would like die with me and I don't want that. I want it to be passed on to like, you know, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, like, oh, you're Latin American, you have this fantastic culture that you're part of. Yeah, and passing down the culture, it's, it's definitely worth it, but it's also very difficult. So if our audience members want to connect with you, either through social media to learn more about art school or hospitality or veterinary or even tattoo art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, how can they connect with you? So I do have an Instagram handle to, to Mayday50 is right. my handle on Instagram and I'm pretty active on there. Okay. Um, you can DM me or anything like that. Any awesome. questions you may have. Or... <laughs> awesome. So I'll link your Instagram to the episode notes so folks can like connect with you there. Maylin, it's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you again for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of our audience members can resonate with just a sense of feeling different and feeling lonely perhaps in a community where nobody looks like us. But I think that now with social media, one of the one of the good things of social media is that Peruvians across the US and across the world can connect with each other and that we can learn about amazing Peruvians like you and what you're doing. So thank you again for joining me on this podcast. Yo lo soy. Hi, thank you so much. It was great. Y no me Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I look forward to connecting with you there. And remember, el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano. Chao.